Welcome to Marketing Blabs. This podcast is brought to you by Marketing Labs, an expert digital marketing agency based in Nottinghamshire. If you're a business owner or a marketing professional looking for straightforward, non-salesy tips and advice to help grow your business online, then this podcast is for you. Strap in because we're about to reveal the things that other agencies would rather you didn't know. listeners and welcome to episode number nine of the marketing blabs podcast we're sailing through them have you ever wondered how search engines like google decide which web pages appear when you hit that search button well today we're going to dive deep into search ranking factors and better yet we're sharing our top tactics to boost your own organic rankings Joining me today on today's blab is Matt Janaway, our CEO. How are you doing, Matt? Afternoon, Tom. Have you enjoyed the day photos? Yeah, I have. And do you know what else I'm excited for? Go on. Episode 10 of the pod. Oh, yeah. The next episode. You promised everybody in episode one or two that you're going to sing a song with your guitar made by AI in episode 10. Yep. Episode 10's next year. <laughs> this, is, this is it for 2023. No, I'll I'll do it. I will do it because I promised everybody. I'm excited. Good. I think Looking everybody should that. be. And also with us today is Stephen Pownell, our senior SEO strategist. We're back again, two on the go for you. I know. I didn't contribute much last time, did I? Yeah, it was a good pod though. It was. Yeah, I, I enjoyed enjoyed, uh, enjoyed catching up with Annie and seeing what she had to say. Well, I'm sure this pod you'll be well involved because it's your bag. And finally, last but not least, we've got Mel Healy, our head of content with us. How are you doing, Mel? I'm good, Tom. Thank you. You look mischievous. <laughs> you look like you're going to say something that you shouldn't. I've got a happy face, oh, though. That's good. What, what face do you want? I don't know. That's fine. I'm happy with that. Okay. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. Well, we've had the intros and the niceties. So, search engines. We understand how they work, but for the everyday Joe Bloggs, who's going to start off explaining how they work in simple terms? Yeah, I'll tackle that. Yeah. So later on in this podcast, we're probably going to be talking about how you can take advantage of the people searching and how you can align your products and your services with those people searching. But in order to do that, a prerequisite, unfortunately, is probably slightly boring, but I'll be as quick as I can. A prerequisite is to understand actually how search engines work. So there's a few phases in in how search engines discover websites and pages, but also how they crawl them, how they index them, and then how they rank them. So the first stage really is that discovery stage. And um, there is no central registry, if you like, of pages on the internet it doesn't exist there there isn't one google is probably as close as you get to it so what google has to do is just constantly be on the lookout for new pages updated pages little known pages that might add value and that process is google call it url discovery one of the reasons why links is so important actually which we'll come on to links later on but links play a really important part in url discovery so once google have discovered links they then 
uh, use Google bots to crawl a page. They extract the information on the page and they render that so they can sort of visually see it how, how a user would see it. Then it works on indexing. So it then adds how it understands that page. It adds that into its index ready for when people are searching. And then when people search, the algorithms kick in and say, okay, well, we know this website or this web page is very relevant for this person searching for this particular keyword. So that's the process. Lots of, to take in there. There's lots to take in. And and that in itself could have been an entire podcast. Yeah. But to keep it as short as possible, those stages are really important because without understanding those, those stages, the rest of the podcast wouldn't quite make much sense. Mm. So it's really important to understand discovery, yeah. crawling, rendering, indexing, and ranking. The yeah. five separate processes as part of that, you know, as part of that journey, if you like. I guess because there's that many websites or pages that are published to the internet daily, that's a, a lengthy process for that, that those pages to ultimately be discovered and then crawled and so on. Yeah, I mean, as big as Google is, they've got no chance of being able to crawl every new page on the internet. I think I read recently, actually, there's something like, I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm sure it was something like 2 million new pages, uh, new, new websites mm. on the internet every day. They're falling behind every day, aren't they? Google? Every day they're falling behind. And that's websites, not pages. So it's like a backlog then? Ma yeah, backlog. But Google have got to be, and, and all search engines, you know, mm. they've they've got to be quite considerate about which which of those websites actually offer value. Mm. You know, a big chunk of those websites are probably spammy and pointless. So they, they have to have systems in place to determine how useful those websites yeah. are but also systems in place to figure out how to find them, yep. how to understand them, and how to index them and rank them. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's generally how most search engines work. Obviously, there's nuances between each search engine, but Bing, Ecosia, DuckDuckGo, they all have very similar systems. I'm really happy that you're here to explain that, because if I was going to explain search engines... I don't know where I'd start. <laughs> Try now. Go on. No, I don't think I <laughs> Go on. Discover. Crawl. <laughs> I'm not reading my notes. <laughs> Render index. Have you been looking at my notes? No. Nope. Have you stolen that yeah, from my I notes? Yeah, I stole all your notes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, moving on from that, because that's a, like you said, that could become a podcast episode mm. in itself. What's the next step? What What's the next thing that is sort of considerable, shall we say, in terms of the ranking factors of the search engine would it be keyword optimization or would it be something beyond that i, I don't know well everybody starts in a slightly different you know in a different process a different place they have different advice they have different ideas every website has a different purpose so there isn't necessarily an exact next step always i mean some people don't even do no. it some people aren't aware of it that's right they just launch their website so they so, for example, they wouldn't even do any keyword keyword research. Is what you're saying? Yeah. They wouldn't consider the optimizing. No, well, often often they wouldn't necessarily understand that that is important. And and you know sometimes if they've got a great website that serves a purpose mm. and people love it, often they can still be successful. It doesn't mean that they they can't gain traction in search. It makes it much more difficult because there's a various different elements that are really important for search. So. There are so many s signals to performing in search. It's difficult to just say you should absolutely start here. Generally, more often than not, we usually start with the technical foundations 
because if the technical foundations are sound, you can then build from that. Lots of technical foundations and elements play a big part, so we won't go into them today, and they'll be very boring for listeners. But outside of those technical foundations, there are some things we want to talk about today. Uh, for example, like content and the part that plays in, in that process, the role of backlinks in that process, user experience, and a few other things along the way. So there's lots of um, areas of optimizing, if right. you like. I think it's, it probably makes sense to start off on, on content and keyword optimization, and then we can move into the other bits. So I'm going to come to you, Mel, because you're our head of content. When considering content, obviously it needs to be of a high quality in terms of it's got to educate, inform, and obviously serve a purpose for the user. But, I mean, do you consider keyword research as a part of your process every time you're writing content, or is it a different process every time? It's quite complex in that before you start writing anything, you need a strategy and a plan. And that starts with looking at clusters of keywords and topics. Like Kellogg's. And... (laughs) 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 Before we get to the point of deciding what keywords to use for our content, take a step back and look at the strategy and create a plan for what we call clusters. And these are bunches of similar concepts that go together that form one topic. And this is quite a small part of a very big change for Google that happened some time ago. And it was a divergence in the way that Google does what it does. And Matt can probably talk about this with far more authority than I can. But I don't know, Matt, if you can come in now and just talk about semantic search and how things have changed. Yeah. So, you know, way back when Google would take a particular search term, you know, you could search Google for interesting facts about Kellogg's, Google wouldn't understand what that meant. You know, it was just a collection of characters. And what they would do is they'd match that against their index to see what was relevant. Now they absolutely do understand language. You know, they've been working on machine learning, natural language processing for a long time. So they've got a very good understanding of actually what that means. So they can better um, provide results that make sense. We mentioned this, I think, in every podcast, and we're going to mention it again today probably at least a few times intent so it's google's goal to align and and every search engine actually it's their goal to align what somebody is searching for with the most relevant piece of content now in order to do that you've really got to understand the intent of what the person who's searching is wanting to achieve by their search if you can understand that that intent you can provide them with a result that matches what they're looking for now understanding intent how do you do that without understanding language so that plays a huge part in in how search engines, I guess, provide the kind of results that people would want to see. So in order to do that, you've got to prove that you have expertise with certain topics. So search engines would expect you to talk about and cover certain topics that relate to your main topics. And by doing that, you can show them expertise, authority and trust, which is a signal that Google uses to determine whether you can trusted and whether you're you have authoritative uh, an authoritative voice on the topic so yeah as mel says if you can align 
your main topic with a cluster of subtopics that all relate to that and show that you have expertise, it, it puts your entire domain in a very strong position. So what this means is not that keywords aren't important, but they are seen through a different prism now than they were. So it used to be an exact match scenario. So you 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 know you had to use keywords in certain places on a page and a certain number of times because Google were looking for that word so that they could match it exactly with a person's search. That's no longer the case because now that Google understands what that word means and how that relates to other words or the similar words and it can process all of that, actually it's looking for other cues within the content that show that you've covered that well. So that might be semantically related words or variations on the word or whatever. But I think for people out there listening who don't know an awful lot about the changes that Google have made, they probably are still under the impression that they need to use the keyword in the title, in the first paragraph, a select number of times during the piece at the end that that's not really the case anymore and and if you do that what you can do is get into the realms of keyword stuffing which will actually uh, have the opposite effect and instead of you ranking well for something you'll be penalized because you've overused that word so what's actually better when you're writing a piece of content is just to keep the reader in mind and just to make sure that you're writing for them authoritatively from a place of expertise and experience and covering it as well as you can. A big objection we get actually when when we talk about this is the idea that you don't want to give everything away. We do hear that quite regularly. Somebody will say, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. Like, Why should I give everything I've learned over that period away to people for free? Like, Surely they don't need me. Actually, no, absolutely the opposite of that. You know, you show that you're an expert, not only will you benefit, but actually people will read it and think, actually, I need this guy. It it has the opposite effect. It makes people realize you're an expert. And if you think about it from search engines side, keyword stuffing is is and and other ways of, you know, basic on page SEO, you know, 10 that's that's changed over the last 10 or 20 years a lot. But it's certainly it's certainly easier now for experts to just write benefit from from search because they wouldn't necessarily have to optimize in the same way that maybe they would have done 10 years ago you know very frequently you can create a great piece of content that covers a topic incredibly well and you'll find yourself ranking for lots of keywords that aren't even mentioned on the page because of search engines understanding of natural language processing and that's a strong position to be in really because actually it takes the emphasis off seo a little bit and actually onto expertise and all of a sudden, if, if you're an expert in a particular field, all of a sudden you're in a position where actually you've got a much better standpoint than you might have had, say, 15 years ago. Nice. So there's lots to consider there just off the bat with regards to content. But what about if you're researching the topics that you want to be in your clusters or areas within, let's say, topics of your blog that you want to help educate people on? Is there any way that you can optimize that researching process? Are there any tools or is there any sort of process that you guys follow when when considering the research phase? I would start internally first and do a huge brain dump of everything that everybody in the room, a collection of the right people, consider to be important 
to the customer and nail down as many topics as you possibly can. There are lots of other sources that you can use as well just to understand where the pain points are for your customers and your prospects because ultimately what you're trying to do is find the things that are important to them so that you can answer their questions and solve their problems Mm. and provide them with valuable content because after all you're asking them to give up their time so you've, you've got to give them something in exchange for that and that's usually solving a problem so keyword research is one of the ways that you can find out what people are interested in and what questions they want answering so do, would you base it on like say questions that people are asking is that a, a simple way of doing it yeah it's a great way of doing it there's a tool called people also asked mm. which is fantastic you know, you could I go into that. Yeah, it's great. You, you know, if, if you're covering a topic like, I don't know, boiler maintenance, mm. you could go into what people also asked, input a little bit of data, broad keywords. So as Mal was saying, you know, if you start off with a brain dump of all of the keywords that you think might relate, you go into people also asked, input some of those, you'll be presented with, you know, a huge amount of questions that people search in Google, that people are asking questions, they've got problems, or they need advice. If you can align your content with that, mm. you're in a very strong position because you're bypassing that that classic marketing challenge of who's my customer, who's my audience, what problems do they have, and how do we align our product with them? Yeah. You miss that entire middle bit. Mm. You can then start to chuck those questions into Google, see what other people are writing about, see what other questions they're asking and they're answering. Yeah, It's a great way to just keep getting little topics. Yeah, and you build up a picture, don't you, of mm. what your mm. content needs to look like. You know, over time, you, you if if you've got maybe four or five questions, they may well belong on the same page. They may well belong on different pages. If they're cl- very closely aligned, they, they could potentially go on the same page. You can cover that entire topic, but then you can analyze who's ranking for those particular key phrases and see what topics they're covering and how you align that. Before long, you get a, a, a bit of a mind map of what that cluster might look like. So you end up with understanding exactly what that page itself could look like, but also pages that would have a relationship with that page. Very important to mention at this point, we'll come on to this later in more detail, but very important to mention at this point as well, those clusters, they have to link together in, in a way that is very natural. So you would use the anchor text of the terms that you're targeting on those internal links so for listeners the anchor text would be the text that the link belongs to so for example you might see it quite a lot where someone would say click here and then the click here would be a link to another page don't use click here use quite specific things that make sense in in relation to the topic and the content but those links are very important because that lit that collects that cluster together so i think the other thing here as well is you will come across phrases and, and keywords when you're when you're in this process of research that don't naturally align. And the way often to cut to collate those in, in an order that makes sense to cover the topic of is using intent. So for example, certain in- intent might be buyer intent. So people might search for say buy Kellogg's Cornflakes UK, buy Kellogg's Cornflakes Nottinghamshire. Some of them might be Kellogg's Cornflakes near me. They're the kind of keywords that have buyer intent. You've got informational types of intent. So people asking questions, people looking for topics, lots of different types of intent. And it's very important not to mix those up, particularly with the with the topics, because if the intent of what they're looking for doesn't align with the content, it generally won't perform very well. But also you'll confuse people if they do land there. 
um, it has to serve, serve a quite a specific purpose. Nice. Coming back to the content, does word count come into play at all when, when considering content? specifically for, let's say, blogs? Google isn't looking for a certain number of words specifically. I know people think that there is and that Google require a 1,000 words in a blog post or 1,500 or that 1,700 performs better. And Google have been quite clear in saying that's not the case. There is no magic number. You need to write the number of words that are right for that topic. And I know that's frustrating to hear and people want a number, but there really isn't one. And what what you really need to do more than anything is look at what your competitors are doing because that's who you're being judged against. So if they've already written pieces that are ranking well for the topic that you want to write on and they've written 1,500 words and you write 600 then quite obviously it's not going to rank as well because it will be seen as providing less value. So there are lots of tools out there that can tell you what your competitors, how much your competitors have, have written on the subject. So you've got a, a benchmark. You could do the work manually yourself as well and go through and, and count the words, but um, it's probably quicker with a tool. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because potentially listeners want a number. What if I was to say to you, I, I want a number because you're not giving me a number. Only per topic, I think. <laughs> also per page as well. Per and then page. You've also got yeah. to take into account user experience because if you're doing a category or landing page and you're mm. just trying to get hundreds or thousands of words on there, it's going to confuse people. You want them to be concise. You want to get them to the CTAs to click through to, to buy or to view more services. Obviously, with a blog post, it might be slightly different, but you, you only want to give them the information it, like we've been saying there's intent there if they're searching for a blog post they want answers they, they want to know the answer mm. they don't want too much waffle but then at the same time getting more keywords in obviously you've got to have more content in so it's getting the balance and that's where there's a correlation you know that there is a correlation between how many keywords a page might rank for and the length of content but that's only because the longer your content the more topics you're covering so micro topics subtopics whatever you want to call them um, so naturally you're going to rank for more keywords. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean that creating content for the sake of content and long content is actually useful for the intent of the topic. You know, you, you could easily cover a certain topics with maybe four, five, six hundred words potentially, but it depends entirely on, on the topic. And, and actually this is a really interesting question because if you, you know, what Stephen says there is so true because if you search any of these particular keywords, key phrases, topics, and you see only informational content, but you're trying to target that keyword through an e-commerce category page, for example, actually stop because you know you're wrong. You know, search engines have so much data on intent of keywords and, and the purpose of search intent. If they're showing informational results for a particular keyword, chances are it's actually not right for an e-commerce category page. But vice versa as well. Like if you're trying, if, if you search those topics and all you're seeing is products, for example, in the search results, you probably don't really want to tackle that with a blog post. It doesn't make sense to. The intent probably doesn't really align. So it is difficult to give an exact number. I think the final thing on this for me as well is, it, this infuriated me for a long time. You still see it now and it, it amazes me, is when you get very specific advice from from particular corners of the internet let's say in the digital marketing world and they'll say right you need to be writing one blog post a week 500 words like, what does that even mean 
What is the point of that? What's the purpose? What is that content? Why 500 words? Like, if you're doing that, all you're doing is filling up the internet and you're just creating words for the sake of creating words. Do the reverse of that. Start with topics mm. and then create your plan based on that because then you're targeting very specific things that people are searching that relate to your product or services that you can then align with this, with search intent. And you'll probably put less pressure on yourself doing it that way as well. For sure. If you're saying, oh, I haven't put that 500 word blog post out this week that I didn't know what I was writing about, then you're going to feel stressed and you're not going to follow a strategy and it's not going to be serving a purpose. No, so. you'll, you'll just rush it and throw things on the internet, yeah. won't you? And, uh, yeah. And sometimes that leads to other problems where, you know, we see it with clients all the time, or, or, or not just clients, but just people, <laughs> businesses. They just write about themselves, their products, mm. their services, mm. and it just doesn't have a purpose. No. no, Nobody, as horrible as it sounds, nobody cares. That And, and that is genuinely a problem. Like mm. People assume that blogging is it has to be about them. Yeah. Actually, the reverse of that is true. If if you're talking about yourself, you're not matching the intent. Yeah. You need to be sharing expertise, sharing, adding value, showing that you can be trusted and, and that your voice matters. That's not to say that you can't mention your product, but, but at the same point, that's not the purpose. It's not a product advertisement. It's mm. not product marketing. What it is, is a way of showing that you're an expert. So if you can remove yourself from thinking it's an advertorial or, or a product, you know, product marketing, you'll be in a much better position. There's a place for that. And that's on your product pages and your service pages. Mm. You know, they, they need to be covering your products and your, your service and, and, you know, you leave your expert content to be exactly that about your experience and your expertise. Mm. We've actually got a short that's going to be published soon, which Mel did that says your Excellent. blog is not for selling. Excellent. So, When's that going live? in a couple of weeks. Excellent. So take a listen. So we've talked about content, we've talked about keywords and the research and a, a sort of roundabout understanding of how search engines operate. Let's talk about backlinks. How important is it for businesses with a website to consider a backlink strategy? Vital. It's, it's funny because there's trending conversations over the last year or two there's there's a lot of people questioning the benefits of backlinks, but but those that, that actually do it and understand it and do it well, you can see the value of it from a, a million miles away. And actually those that don't do it are the ones that struggle. Backlinks are the backbone of the internet. Like the World Wide Web is, is literally a web and each strand in that web is is backlinks. Backlinks are essentially like a vote. And when you take it way back to its early days and you understand the relationship between citations, if you like, um, like if you imagine for a minute, like an educational white paper, if you're covering a particular topic and you have other white papers mentioning your white paper, that shows a very strong vote of it's confidence. A vote of confidence, yeah. Yeah. Massive vote of confidence in, in, in your white paper. So take this to where we are now. We're in a position where actually those votes for your website show that there's an element of relevancy, trust, authority. And I'm reluctant to say this, but the volume of links that you have pointing to your website in theory show a correlation that you have certain expertise and authority. Now, the reason I say I'm, I'm very conscious of saying that is because actually the vast majority of backlinks now, I, I think, are neutral. You know, it, you've, you've really got to have the right kind of links with the right signals to to take, to get the benefit of, of those votes, if you like. 
Mm. But but yeah, absolutely vital. Really, does does domain authority play a part in in that sort of equity level? I mean, domain authority it, it's it's Moz's metric, their kind of scoring metric, let's say, of a website. It it's a well known metric, and it's a kind of fair representation of kind of what Google would grade your website. But it's not. It's not a score for your website. Mm. People get that confused. It's um, it's purely more, and, and a lot of tools have their own scoring system. It's just a well-known one. It's one of the early ones, and that's why everybody knows it. It's mm. just Moz's kind of authority score. Am I right in saying that having a backlink strategy is the most helpful ranking fact? Not most helpful. What am I trying to say? Is it the most beneficial bit of? There's so many areas that are beneficial. It, yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, you just to just to take you way back when. So Google used to have a scoring system called PageRank. Arguably, still do. I, I think it very likely they still do. It's not public anymore. It used to be public. So Google used to have an extension that you could install in your browser that would tell you the page rank of your pages. Mm. And in theory, that was the the how authoritative that page might be. Now. When that was publicly discontinued and that and that extension stopped working, there was a lot of tools that scrambled to try to understand like a scoring system and and the Moz one became the default so um that that's often why it's used. Google don't use uh, d a at all it's nothing to do with Google, mostly best if you ignore it to be honest but 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 having said that, it serves a very small purpose of having a rough idea of how much equity that page might have. There's plenty of metrics that try to do the same thing. It's important not to pay too much attention to those, really, but they give you a rough idea. So coming back to the strategy, yeah, you can do okay. You know, you, 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 there are various case studies, and we've seen this firsthand, where you can generate traffic growth without a backlink strategy. There's so many problems with that process, though. So the first problem with that process is you can only do that if it's incredibly non-competitive if you're in an even remotely slightly competitive topic you need backlinks you aren't going to rank without backlinks the second problem with that process is actually and, and people fail to you if you read a case study online the one thing they fail to explain in almost every single case is you know you might read for example oh we created 200 pieces of content this year and look what happened to our traffic Okay, great. They might even continue to say, we did all of this without building a backlink. Okay, great. When you analyze, though, if you're producing 200 pieces of content and you actually look at their backlink profile, just because they have that content and they have some visibility, people then naturally start linking to it because it might be good content. So even though they haven't built any backlinks, the vast majority of the time when people have a strategy that is only content, they actually have hundreds of backlinks anyway because they're creating good content. So in answer to the question, yeah, really, if if you have any form of organic ambitions in, in, in search, you really need some form of a backlink strategy. Even if that strategy, which is very admirable and, and is a great way of, of trying to trying to pursue your SEO ambitions, if you like, even if that strategy is just let's create incredible content and try to gain organically natural backlinks to it without actually building them. 
And actually, that's probably the best way of going if you can do that. And relationships help with that. You, know, you could easily just reach out to people and say, I've created this amazing resource. I think it'll be useful to your readers. You've got this piece of content over here. I think it relates to this. Any chance, you know, you could link to our resource because it, it'll be great for your readers. They may or may not tell you to go away. But if you've got good relationships with people, that's always a good start. And you could do that, you see, without having a, your own link building strategy, if you like. But at the same point, really, you need a combination of all of that. Mm. I mean, there's an argument to say that is the strategy. If you if you are just knocking out content and wanting people to link to it, that is their strategy there. It's, exactly. And things like guides, how-tos, images, infographics, blogs, they're, they're all excellent resources to link to. Yeah, and it's, it's almost deceitful, actually, when you read these case studies saying they did all of this without link building because they know full well that they have had links continually coming into their website just they haven't particularly necessarily built them themselves. Yeah. So yeah, links form a huge part of that process. So it's almost as if you can do all of these elements that we've discussed in isolation, mm. but if you merge them all together, you're going to get more of a powerful mix. For sure. It's much more complicated than this, but if you imagine a triangle, like if you imagine a triangle of SEO, there's so many more elements than just three. But if you imagine technical content and link, those related like just focusing on those three areas you should do pretty well yeah nice i guess lastly then we've talked about a lot of those elements but i just want to briefly touch on website user experience specifically now i think that obviously a poor user experience can be quite damaging not only for the user but also affect the seo as well because if you imagine the website's not friendly to use, it's not easy to navigate, it's slow, then that's not only going to put people off and potentially lower conversion rates, but it's also going to have a negative impact on your SEO because Google's algorithms now are heavily weighted towards site performance as well. So that's going to play a huge part. So I think it's quite important that you get, obviously, your layouts right and how things feel and look to the user so that they can convert but also make sure you've got things in place like i don't know your servers are in the right place so that the website performs quickly you're uploading we talked about it, this lots your images are optimized little things like that so i think there's lots of things that come into play when it comes to ux mobile friendliness is a big one like if you if your website's not mobile friendly d doesn't google crawl mobile first yeah now? they crawl mobile first yeah yeah so obviously, if your important elements are not on mobile, then you're potentially going to miss out there. So you've got to try and, again, get a balance of all that, making sure that everything is user-friendly. You've got your important information on mobile. You've got, I'll add this in, plenty of white space. Carry out user testing as well. Make sure yeah. that, you know, you might be too close to it. If you've designed it or if, you, if it's mm. your business, you may be too close. Get other people to look at it, tell you where you've gone wrong no that's a really good shout actually there's a there's a tool called user brain i think i even mentioned it in the last pod to be fair there's a few of them isn't there yeah that's a really good tool because it it lets real life users analyze a website and you just got to make sure you're not precious yeah don't, well don't take it to heart no it's <laughs> it's it's good feedback isn't it mm. oh it's all good feedback because if you imagine like you said we're all too close to things i use marketing labs and i'm I'm very close to it. I look at it every day and think, oh, I could do that better. And we're trying to do that process. Everyone will try and do that process with their own website. But it's taking into account all this usability 
and experience on the website that's going to effectively fall into play when it comes to the ranking factors in search engines. So yeah, there's lots to consider there. I, I don't know whether there's anything that I've missed there, Matt, that you can add in. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly, a few things, which again, these could be podcasts on their own and maybe we will at some point soon, but Core Web Vitals, very important. You know, that that essentially covers Google's understanding of whether your website is performs well. You know, is, is it quick? Do elements move around the page when you're trying to click them? You know, that that is quite important. So all of that comes back to user experience, really. And the other thing I, I think is probably well worth considering is those internal links as well. So user experience, that's a big part of user experience, how people navigate a website. So yeah, make sure those internal links links are descriptive. That's that's going to play a part. That helps SEO and users. And visible on a mobile. Okay. So when you say internal links, I initially would say a button or mm-hmm. a menu link. Mm-hmm. Is there any other ways you can implement an internal link into your website without mm-hmm. those obvious ways? Yeah, yeah. Loads of places, yeah. So you've got your navigation menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have, say, a header above that with, with some links. You could have a... Uh, contact page you know that that kind of thing footer links that's another place contextual links within the body of the page you can have image links you can have document links there's literally yeah cta there's links everywhere links everywhere (laughs) links form the internet like a link tree (laughs) some might say a web yeah link web yeah forms every web page one of the first things you do and, and this is a this is a massive like data geek thing here Whenever we, we audit any website, one of the first things I look at, even though I don't, I use it as part of my understanding of the site, but I don't do much else with it. I just love the look of it. Are you looking it's at a web here? Please don't tell me it's a web. Sort of like a web. It's, it's like a, a tree, a structure, hierarchy of a website. So you get a bird's eye view of basically how every page is linked together. And you know what? That can be really pretty. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> absolutely I just imagine literally loads of lines just like all over no beautiful honestly beautiful if you google data is beautiful you'll see thousands of these and they look incredible i'll have a look at that genuinely like some of them just look like you've taken an absolute macro close-up image of like an eye they're just incredible honestly could change the color of them yep might have a play with that and the font Excellent. Well, I think that's been a good pod. We've we've talked about lots there, lots to consider, how search engines work, keywords, content, backlinks, UX, all sorts of stuff. But thank you all for being on the pod. Cheers, Mel. Thank you, Tom. Have you enjoyed it? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Have you enjoyed it, Matt? Yeah, I've enjoyed this one, yeah. I think... You um, love anything like this, don't you? Yeah, I do. I could talk about this all day, as you can probably tell. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Had a good one? Loved it. What a journey we've had today. We've been unravelling the world of SEO with the experts themselves, Matt, Stephen and Mel. We've talked about the inner workings of search engines and briefly how they work. We've talked about the power of strategic keyword optimization, and also the value of the quality of the content that you're producing and how the role of backlinks play a big part of that. We've also explored the critical importance of user experience and the impact that this might have on your SEO. Today, we've covered it all and left no stone unturned. From all of us here in Retford, Nottinghamshire, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Until next time, see ya.